welcome to episode number 51 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Sweet Apple Farms has been featured in the Wall Street Journal as one of the most luxurious and unique properties in Alabama. This 3,768-acre property contains 25 lakes, six cabins, several barns, a smokehouse, holds trophy fishing, duck, quail, turkeys, and some truly monstrous white-tailed deer. Almost every inch of this property looks like it came straight out of a poster. Today, we're talking with National Land Realty land professional Clint Flowers, who is working with land professional Forrest During on the sale of this magnificent property. Clint gives us insight on Sweet Apple Farms, as well as what professionals like himself and Forrest look for and how they work with luxury listings such as this. Now sit back and enjoy. sitting here with Clint Flowers and and we're talking about a specific property that Clint has been working with. We're talking about Sweet Apple Farms. This property has been uh, highlighted as one of the highest value listings in Alabama and it's made the Wall Street Journal as far as being being featured as one of the very unique properties of that region. Clint, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about this listing that you're working with. Well, it's a kind of a storied property. It's, It's very well known in the area. It was assembled years ago by the family. Uh, they've been parts and pieces uh, to now they have a contiguous track there, just under 4,000 acres, just under 3,800 acres total. It has got around 25 to 30 lakes and ponds total, comprising about 275 acres of, of water. And that ranges everything from trophy fishing lakes down to cattle ponds. Three of those are 40 acres in size on their own. So it's just a, a really cool place. There's multiple lodges, uh, ranging everything from a main lodge. It's got 10 bedrooms down to a, a you know smaller private settings to a log cabin with hand-hewn lumber in it, things like that, equestrian barn. It's, it's, you could spend hours talking about the place, but it's uh, really been set up well for both farming and recreation. Uh, it can support row crop farming, cattle, and recreation the family's been using it primarily for full recreation and has been managed like that for years. And it's just covered up with trophy game, everything from, from deer to ducks to, you know, turkey, quail, dove. It's got it all. And this was used in the last few years, not necessarily for agricultural purposes, but mostly for just you know, recreational fishing, hunting, you know, camping, that kind of thing. Yeah, they've, they've run some cattle on a portion of the property, but the rest of it's been set up for recreation. Uh, it could be easily converted back to a full-time farm if that was the, the buyer's intent. But, yeah, the pro- the family's been using it primarily as a recreational property. Gotcha. And then 30 lakes. So is that because of the, the water table being sort of high in that area compared to the land? Or is that, has that all been cultivated? That area does hold hold water like a bathtub, so to speak, on some of that ground. And like I said, from the history there, of being a cattle operation on most of this. And when you're buying in multiple tracks, they'll all have their own features. So you've got everything from small, you know, one acre cattle ponds or half acre ponds up to these 40 acre lakes. Some of them were constructed and built for the purpose of being, you know, high end trophy fishing lakes to others that are there that are, you know, been there for decades for agricultural reasons, but now they're watering holes for game, things like that. And plus they've got irrigation run through a lot of the property as well for, for watering points for cattle. 
Gotcha. And so how do you envision this property being utilized sort of like as it goes to market, as it gets picked up by somebody else, is this going to be where somebody's going to bring it in as a, as a lodge for potential clients? Is this going to be personal enjoyment primarily? Where do you see best use out of this? Well, the beauty of this place is it's, it's extremely versatile. It does not have a conservation easement on it now. And it is one that would work extremely well for that. So for the right buyer, a conservation easement could pay for this property for them through tax shelter. And that's a little bit more complex than I can go through on this, but it's something that I could easily explain to, to any prospects out there. But this place, because of the way it's laid out, uh, you could set this up as an income-producing lodge with, with recreational features combined with the farm, a corporate place that's really there to entertain and, and enrich you know, the culture of, of any large corporation that could use it for that purpose, team building events, summer camps, anything you can dream up. But it's when you've got a place like this with this many features, it really lends well to about anything the imagination can come up with. I would agree with that. And how many buildings again are on, on the acreage? You've got the main lodge and then six satellite cabins. Six satellite cabins. Are those multi-bedroom cabins or singles? Uh, they're all two-bedroom or larger. Two-bedroom or larger. So this is something where you could have clients in there or like you said, or a corporate setting for a corporate retreat. You've named off like five or six different income sources that this place could provide for any potential you know, purchaser out there from anything from agricultural, you know, return on investment or or clientele looking for, you know, game or anything like that or just a getaway. Right. Um, and then conservation easements you pointed to is something else that people can utilize. How long did it take you to sort of look this place over in the first place. I mean, what's the, what's the experience like as you first go into it? <laughs> I was, was laughing about it with, with the seller after our first tour. I think we spent 33 miles on my Ranger, just kind of hitting the high points and we still didn't hit every road or trail. Uh, so, you know, if you're really looking to get to get off road, whether it be on a horse buggy or hike, you've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. And I'm guessing all of it's fairly well maintained. Yeah. No, every, everything here, they, like I said, They've been using it personally, so it's not had a ton of traffic in it. They've really done everything top-notch. Roads are wide, well-maintained, daylighted, as we call it here, where they stay dry and and in good shape year-round. And just a beautiful place. It's like driving through a a living painting. That's a pretty good description from everything that that has been displayed online. And, uh, you know, you're in Alabama. I'm not. But, man... The weather looks nice and the place looks beautiful. You know, it's it's uh, it's a gorgeous place. So when you when you start working with a listing like this, when you first start going into the market and you're you're looking at this as a possibility to put this on, you know, on the market openly, what are you looking at? And and how do you of course sort of go about that process of working with the landowner and deciding deciding how to do this and how to kind of strategically get this out there? Uh, first and foremost, we try to establish their goals. You know, some people are, are more motivated than others. Some have a shorter time horizon or, or preference. And we try to, you know, establish what all those those goals are. There's the normal ones. Uh, some people are concerned about price. Some others about timelines. Others about tax consequences, family issues, anything like that. So we try to, first and foremost, define and address those issues to make sure that we're, we're operating in a manner that will satisfy those. Uh, and then after that, we look at the market driven aspects of things of, of, you know, if there are comparable sales out there, what are they? What are any site issues that, you know, things that we know are going to be 
of concern for people that we can go ahead and get clarity on or, or need to go ahead and outline any possible repairs, little things like that around the property. And then we start as much as we can identify who our target audience is going to be. Yeah. And what's the, what's the biggest challenge when you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about a 4,000 acre listing, you know, it's several million dollars. This is a poster property, right? Like this is something where you can take a picture pretty much anywhere on this listing and put it in a frame, put it on your wall. And it would, you know, it's one of those types of, of places where pretty much anywhere you go, looks like it could be featured on somebody's wall. What are the challenges of that? Trying to capture all of that and get it into a listing. It's very easy to see and to feel when you're on site. It's hard to capture all of that in a few pictures, even if it's a few hundred like we like we did here. And get that on the internet and really have people feel there what you feel on the property, uh, just so you could get that conversation started. And, and it's tough to capture that on, on something that fits on a screen. Yeah. And, and for listings like this, because you, you, I know, have worked with several on, on this scale, and I would say almost several at a time throughout the years. When, when you're working with this, are most of your buyers going to come from in-state or out-of-state Is from what you see? It's been a little bit of both, but uh, on properties like this, they do tend to be out of state. You know, we're, we're going to be talking to national or international clients who, you know, there's going to be uh, some pretty intensive travel involved for them to come in. And, you know, they may have private aircraft or not, but it's going to be coming from, from really anywhere around the country. Yeah. And it is, so that's, that's one area where looking at sort of national coverage of, of how you can get national exposure for a listing like this becomes sort of paramount because you've got to really spread the net to make sure it gets on as, in, as many eyes as possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that, I mean, you know, better than anybody, how data driven we are and, you know, being able to really get granular on that uh, as it comes in, you know, we can start adjusting and, you know, when we start seeing trends occur, then we can double down on those and, and really dig in and just try to, you know, using a fishing analogy, try to have as many lines out of the boat as we can. Absolutely. And so you, you mentioned it too, that it would probably require some flight to get in there to check this place out. Is there a, is there a local landing strip or, or airport that gets people close to this? Or is it a bit of a drive? Uh, no, I mean, there's multiple regional airports. There's a major airports within uh, 90 minutes or less, but private local airports too. And, and this place could definitely have a landing strip very easily or, or a helipad, whatever's needed. So, you know, I can only imagine how cool it would be to, to fly oh, straight in and land on your own property. <laughs> Which it definitely, I agree with you. It looks very, very possible. Is this something where... Has there been a lot of game taken out of here on a regular basis? Because you were talking about how there's there's a large population of game. Is this something where they, they've hunted it just within the family and not much game is taken, so the populations have built up? Yeah, I mean, to a, you know, not to the point of being too much, too heavy, but it's the main thing from a deer standpoint is they had the opportunity to really age and flourish out there. So you're not running around looking at a bunch of two and a half, three and a half year old deer. You're you're seeing a lot of mature, heavy mass whitetails that have had. Uh, plenty of habitat to hold numbers, but also the soil quality and uh, nutrition side of things from the agricultural side to enhance their, I hate to keep using the word quality, but it really applies really well here, their, their trophy <laughs> status and both, you know, antler mass and size, but also body weight. So it, it's, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of live pictures on the side of, of the game that's been out there, plus what's been harvested. So this place is just, it's had no pressure to speak of overall. It's been really heavily managed uh, and it's a turnkey property for something of this type. 
how rare is it to see a property like this just from your perspective? Cause I, and again, because I know that you work with a lot of them. Yeah. It's very rare, especially to have it all contiguous like this. And the main value that I see, especially as I get older is the time value here. I guess it's not that hard to buy land and then really go in and get intensive on your management and spend years and decades get it to this point, but you spent years and decades getting it to that point, along with all the costs of doing that. Well, here you have the opportunity to save that and walk right in and really enjoy the fruits of other people's labors and immediately start enjoying it without any of the headache of development. Yeah. And this is one of the better manicured places you're probably going to find in the United States from, from what I've seen. I mean, agree, disagree, but it looks that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it is. The main thing it's had is just a lot of love and care. This place means a lot to the family, uh, and it's been managed that way. You talked about spending 33 miles driving through this thing on the, on the first kind of touring of that. From from your perspective, somebody who had never set foot on the, on, on the property, and this is more probably a personal question for you on what it's like to see a listing like this for the first time. What is it like to walk onto properties like this for the first time? A lot of people never get this chance. It's um, seeing the forest for the trees is probably the hard part because you, you get flooded with so much so quickly, you know, whether it be the lakes or the open land or the hardwood bottoms or the, you know, the equestrian facilities to the, you know, shooting range, the, the everything. It, it's just you get through there and you kind of have to go, man, you almost need to go back and do it twice to make sure that you you remembered everything properly because it's it can be a little overwhelming to, to have that much beauty hit you at once. I was going to say, it's, you've been in this industry for a while. And like I said, you, you work with a lot of properties like this. Do you still walk in and just kind of drop your jaw? Oh, yeah. I want to buy every piece of land I ever work with always. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the truth. Even even on the lower end of things, I still want it. There, that's one, right. one thing that tells me, I guess, that I still love what I do is every piece of property I ever step on has a redeeming factor, but others like this one have stand out way more than any other. Uh, and this is one of those places that's going to be in the top few I've ever dealt with. Do you think that kind of is a requirement for doing what you do on the level that you do is sort of keeping that love for the land? Is that sort of essential, like keeping that enthusiasm? Like you can't just walk in and just throw a piece of paper on this and sell it. I mean, as far as going in and, and sort of just, you still get enjoyment out of it, right? Is that, do you think that's a requirement for working with listings like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think having that, that passion is important because it, it helps you become a, a better expert, you know, so that you can, you know, be motivated to, to learn about, you know, everything from the conservation easement side to the, tax, the overall tax shelter that land provides to, you know, understanding how different income streams can either exist now or be developed in the future. But if you don't have that love of the game, so to speak, that you want to do those things and you see those opportunities or even from the hunting perspective that you see the ability for this area to be, you almost imagine yourself there on a turkey hunt or deer hunt or dove hunt, duck hunt, those kind of things to really be able to show prospects and explain those things to them, you know, get them to see what you see and feel what you feel out there that I, I feel like it's, if you can't do that, it, it prevents you from being as effective for your client as you should be. And, and how do you gauge that? What is an effective interaction with a client? What's the, what's the, the, the ideal, you know, circumstance for that? First and foremost, you know, I think it's the downside of a lot of salespeople in general and including real estate agents is that they 
immediately go into selling, you know, whatever it is, whatever widget or, or land house, whatever it is, where they just start talking about it and, and talking about all the shiny, pretty things instead of taking the time to understand why that person's there, why are they in front of them? You know, what problem are they trying to solve in their life by buying this asset? whatever it is and understanding their goals. You know, I mentioned that from the seller side earlier, well, the same approach goes for buyers. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's going to have different ideas. And if, if you don't understand what their goals are, what their concerns are, then you can't properly uh, sell that property to them because you're not there to just be some talking head that talks about all these things and sells the shiny thing. You're there to solve problems. And if you're not, uh, enabled and educated enough or experienced enough to do that, then you can't do your job, not in the most effective way. So that's first and foremost, uh, my goal is to be servant minded for everybody involved in the transaction, solve their problems and put everybody in a better position than they're in today. I like that approach. When, when you first meet a client, are there, or I'm going to say prospect, right? Because they're not a client yet. When you first meet them, is there sort of a routine you go through? Is there sort of like, I got to ask these questions every single time? Or is it more sort of like, is it just organic? You mentioned really listening to them. Is it just you kind of following their lead and just staying quiet and getting as much information as you can? Or are there certain things that you're trying to dig out as far as, you know, things that people should be prepared when they talk to somebody like you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, understanding, you know, I, I call it understanding your why why am I doing this? Why am I interested in this? Uh, so that you can, can really, as much as you can elaborate on that for the agent or whoever you're speaking to, the better, because for those that are, that are truly there to help, not just there to sell something or, or get a listing, it helps them do a better job for you. If they understand your goals up front, if your goal is time oriented and the agent thinks your goal is money oriented, then you too may not be running on the same wavelength and you may end up with an overpriced property that you would have preferred to price more aggressively and get it sold quicker versus putting yourself on the market for months or years longer than you really had to all because you two didn't communicate enough on the front end. So I think establishing clear goals and protocols and things like that up front, you know, how often do you want to hear from your agent? Uh, some people don't want to be called at all unless there's something major going on and others want to talk weekly, even if there's nothing going on. And, I, you know, really laying those things out and creating those baselines are, are important. You know, basically communication, communication, communication. Yeah. It, as, as you were talking your way through too, you were talking about being, you know, how motivated a client is or, you know, whether they're, they're more concerned with the speed that their, their listing goes off the market, or if they're not as time driven, you mentioned all those things. I, it brought up a question for me back to the, to this listing, the sweet, sweet apple farms. When you're talking about something with six cabins, 25 plus lakes, you like three of them are 40 acres. There's an equestrian facility, what a smokehouse, they're duck and deer hunting, you know, cattle range. How do you evaluate something like that as a comprehensive listing? I'm also not going to call you out. If, if, if there's inside information on this, on how you go about your process, I don't want to, I don't want to go into that, but just as far as how do you get your head around it? So I've got a background in appraisal. I first and foremost got a degree in investment management finance. And, uh, and then I was an appraiser as well as a broker for years. So, you know, up to the point that my brokerage business outgrew my appraisal business and I had to let that go. I still approach everything from that methods where you kind of break everything down into puzzle pieces put a value on each piece and bring them back together and see how it looks. Um, okay. And that's w- what I do on these 
primarily so that I can speak clearly to the seller because if we are, you know, if they give me a number and we feel that it's high or, or above where market has been, then I want to be able to be honest with them about that. Uh, doesn't mean that we still won't pursue it, but, but I, what I don't want to do ever is waste anybody's time. So I, I try to, to take an educated approach on this, understand what the replacement cost would be here, uh, not just Sweet Apple, but all kind of properties within, especially those with improvements, is what would it, what would it cost a consumer to replicate this, both time and money-wise, which has changed a lot since pre-COVID, and then also look at comparable sales should they exist. They don't really exist for a property like this. You know, take those appraisal approaches to the valuation, bring all of them to bear. Hopefully they, you know, a cost approach and a comparable sales approach would align. But if they don't, then you sit down together and again, you communicate and you look at that and and you look at it from an educated perspective and make sure that you're being reasonable and bringing something to market that can sell and isn't wasting a seller's time. Again, just communicate and move forward from that, that educated perspective. Yeah, it was, and then I wanted to bring up Forrest was not able to to be here today, but you're also working with Forrest during on this, and both of you are are very I'm going to say esteemed agents with our company, and and I would say as far as the types of properties that both of you work with nationwide, um, both of you work with fairly prestigious properties. How did you come to work together on on listings like this? And what's it like working with Forrest? And, and again, he I'm, I'm going to throw that out there just from your perspective because he wasn't able to be here. So so tell me a little bit about that dynamic. So, yeah, so Forrest is the catalyst of Sweet Apple Farms. I'm, I'm here because of him. He uh, allowed me to be the dancing monkey uh, <laughs> just to put on a show uh, for here because he's, he's uh, a little further away distance-wise. So, But we've worked together as a team on a lot of big tracks through the years. And he's a, a driven guy that you know, that came in with me years ago and, and, you know, really became my right hand guy until he went and opened our Southeast regional office for us and, and built the team out there. But he's a, a sharp driven guy, very astute in the field and just knows how to get it done. But again, he's a, he's a very driven problem solver. He's first and foremost, there trying to help the sellers, not about just trying to sell. And I think that mindset is what sets him apart. Yeah. And I've, I've had a chance. I've had the privilege of talking with him a few times. He keeps it kind of buttoned down. But when you start talking about land, you watch the wheels start ticking and you, you just realize how knowledgeable he is about everything from timber to ag to, to valuation and stuff. And knowing you've also got this game, the same skill set, how, how do the two of you collaborate on those types of things as far as you know, do you both see things kind of eye to eye when you're looking at valuations or is there some negotiation between the two of you? Like, I think this and I think that. And I guess the, the next question in that evolution of that communication is, are you better off for it? Yeah, always. I, th- I think it, it brings in a level of accountability uh, and objectivity that, that you may not have on your own. You know, it's kind of like proofreading your own document. There's a lot of a lot of things you'll miss. But if you bring in a set of fresh eyes that really cares to help and, and wants to help, they'll help you see things that you didn't see on your own. Yeah. And then, so you mentioned, you mentioned being here because of forest on, on sweet apple farms. Do you just get contacted just for listings like this because you've worked with them in the past to have, like what's sort of the route that people take to, to getting a hold of you or forest or something like that? How does that typically happen? On sweet apple, we had helped the family in the past uh, and we sold something that had been on the market for years with other firms that, that was never able to get sold. We about 3,600 acres that 
you know, we came in and we had it sold, I think closed in a few months or less where it had been on the market for years with others. So that resonated and, and got us other opportunities with the family, which we're very appreciative of. And outside of, of this particular property, we we get a lot of referrals from past clients, especially on properties like this. But then on top of that, when the, the marketing and wherewithal of National Land Realty is really found by truly, I'm not, you can correct me on the term or not, but blind referrals, so to speak, where they find us on their own organically, you know, having those results and the marketing team and everything else that we're able to offer sellers here uh, really resonates and it, it helps get folks to us. I would agree. Yeah. But the, those, and those referral sources are, are a big deal. It's, it's almost like what you're saying is that by not seeking to sell to people right out of the gate and trying to understand them first and then doing good business for them, you'll do more business overall because you're helping people out. Yeah. My whole position on everything is, is I want to be adding value um, to every transaction uh, that we're a part of. And if you're not, then you're just, you're, you're dead weight, you're an expense. And that's not what we want to be. We want to contribute value to every deal. 100% agreed. Clint, just before we go here, I was wondering, give us a, a brief, bite. how did you get into this industry? And for those of the, those that are listening that don't quite, you know, if anybody outside of the organization is not going to know this stuff, Clint has led the entire organization in sales year over year. And I would, and I would say Forrest is right there with you on a yearly basis. Um, but you in particular have, have led the entire company and, and won several awards for this kind of stuff. How do you get a background in this from your perspective? I'll start there. Yeah. I had no intent of being in this business, but I grew up working in the woods. I'm from a small town. So most of your jobs as a kid or unless you're going to work at a fast food joint or something, or you're going to have some kind of outdoor component. So I was working on cattle farms where there's chopping firewood, the feeding cows, the mending fences, cutting hay, painting property lines, painting gates, all this kind of stuff to working for uh, my, my dad's a consultant forester to doing lists of things he'd give me for everything from digging ditches to planting trees to um, anything that he could dream up to make sure that I was working from the time I was old enough to work and understood what that meant. And because of all that grunt work, I did have a real desire once I got to college to be like, man, I, I didn't realize there was a side of, of the outdoor industry at that time that you didn't get work to the bone every single day. And, and so I didn't have that mindset of coming back to it, which was his intent, too. He, he wanted to make sure that I was driven to get an education and put myself in a better position through life. So when I was coming out of school, I was an idiot as, as most 22 year olds are, you know, my eyes were on commercial banking and I just happened to get a real estate license because I had enough education hours from, from other courses to get one. And I have, at that point in time, I was doing um, tech support for the business school at Alabama and um, had enough knowledge to basically build a website. And I was, had started to learn more about the retail land side of things. And I was kind of having a friendly argument with my dad about how he should be doing more of that and selling land. And uh, he basically told me, well, if that's true, then then prove it. Show me. So my intended to do this temporarily was build him a website, help him get going on that end. And then I was going to be back to central Alabama to pursue getting engaged to my now wife of pushing 18 years and, um, you know, being a commercial banker. But uh, I did that for him. I got a couple of deals under my belt and I absolutely fell in love with it. And so I, I took off, began a whole independent company associated with his I was independent for 13 years and then or 12 or 13 years and then discovered national land 
and really all it, it brought to bear for its agents and, and how agent centric the whole model was, uh, which is extremely rare in our industry. And that as many times as I've been pursued by other companies to come in as a, some kind of franchisee or partner or something else, nothing really resonated and brought me any value until I found national land. And once I made that jump, I was doing very well then very appreciative of all the opportunities that were there. But once I got to national land, I've seen a four and five X return uh, on my efforts since then. And, you know, being a part of a, of a big and growing team has carried a lot of value. Uh, it's provided a lot of opportunities for me to, to improve my leadership abilities, which you know can get better every day and allow me to, to team up with people like Forrest and, and you and others that, you know, have really, you know, expanded my mind and, and helped me be a better agent. Yeah. I was going to say that your, your story is similar. There's a, there's one thing that runs through almost everybody I've ever talked to uh, in these conversations we're going and we're going on 50 some conversations now on this level uh, for this podcast. And it resonates for me as well. Cause I have a similar background. There's something that happens to a kid when parents get them introduced to the outdoors young. And that is just, it never goes away. It's almost every single person you talk to in this organization started out going outdoors, uh, you know, mom and dad taking them outside and it's it just stays in your system and no matter how hard you try to get away from it because i did too like i I went into to corporate marketing and and did that for a while and, and worked in the technology industry and then it's like I started working my bag my way back to the outdoors any way i could it just seems to be that way across the board right yeah yeah it plants a seed so we'll give an agriculture pun <laughs> all right man well hey uh Tell, tell anybody listening, how do they get a hold of you? And, and I'll let you plug Forrest here too. How do they get a hold of you or Forrest in, in Alabama? The single easiest way is just give the office a call at 855-NLR-LAND. That is 657-5263, I think. But if I'm wrong, it's NLR-LAND. Uh, and then you can email me at cflowers at nationalland.com or Forrest at F during that's D-U-R-I-N-G, at nationalland.com. Excellent. I will have both of your contact information in the show notes. Um, any last little, uh, any pieces of knowledge you want to drop on us before we get out of here? Yeah. Don't get too uh, engrossed in all the cable news about how bad things are out there that, you know, our, our land market and business is as strong or stronger than it's ever been. And uh, if you're considering, especially if you're considering selling, uh, now is still a fantastic time because we're seeing extremely low inventories uh, and extremely low times on market short times on market if you price accurately and um i would continue to dig in there and if you're buying the stability and long-term value of the land market is very proven and if you're seeking safe harbor for all these other volatile things like the stock market's giving us then it's a very safe place to be so i just you know detach from whatever the <laughs> the crap that is spewing out of the news programs these days and and just remember that the land market's doing fine very true words, man. That that fits every number that we've seen throughout the past year. So yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate your time and uh, I'll let you get back to your day, but much appreciate your time. Everybody. Thanks, Matt. This concludes episode number 51 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing sweet apple farms and luxury property sales with land professional Clint Flowers. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.